And today, really, what I want to do is I want to start a new series, and I know it's got a little creative title to it, The Artist and the Art. Let me just set it up for you real quick if you haven't caught on to the meaning of this. God is the great artist, and to be honest with you, we are the artwork. And for many of us, many of us come in here with just broken pieces. As I've sat and I've listened for six months and sat at dinner after dinner after dinner after lunch after lunch after breakfast with many of you in here, just listening to your stories and grabbing onto a God that brings hope, but there's so many people that just have so many broken pieces and we don't know how to make sense of them all. We don't know how to make sense of the shattered pieces in our life and we begin to question and we begin to wonder, is God really the artist that he says that he is, because if I'm honest, my life does not feel like a masterpiece at all. And so before we dive into this, over this next series, we're going to take some stories that are through the Bible, and I'm asking you to kind of involve yourself into these stories, because these are stories, when you begin to read them, they're filled with great tragedy, great pain, great despair, and it seems like God is extremely distant. But in the reality of it, most of these people, as you close the story and you begin to read and you begin to understand and you begin to realize, you realize all along God was with them. And he was not distant. He was walking hand in hand and side by side. So this is what I want to encourage you with this morning. Some of you come in here with broken pieces. And some of you come in here with pieces of your life scattered. And maybe you've given your heart away prematurely, or maybe you've got into a relationship that now you regret, or maybe your life with your father or your mother is in shards, and you are trying to make sense of it all, and you ask God the great question that many of us ask him all the time, why? Why? So here's what I want to do for these next few weeks as we continue in this story is I want to allow God, to begin to allow God to take the broken pieces of our life and begin to make sense of them. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that this morning, God, that you can speak to us. God, we thank you that this morning it's not just about, God, what I choose to say and the words that come out of my mouth, but God, that you are truly here to speak. God, I pray for any of us that are here in this room. God, we come in with broken pieces. We come in with a shattered life. Or God, maybe we come in and our life isn't so broken, but maybe there's just things in our life that we don't understand. God, I pray that you would begin to heal the hurting. God, that you would begin to mend broken hearts together. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. There is a scripture in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, and it's probably one of my favorite passages in all the Bible, and I could not see a better verse that would seem more fitting for this series. I'm going to read it to you real quick, and it's going to be on the screen, and it says this, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, okay, so when there was blackness, when there was blank space, when there was absolutely nothing, God had a plan for you already. Before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. So here's what we can pull from this scripture. And this is going to weave all throughout this series. And this is what is so important. You have to grab hold of this. God defined you before the world could ever define. God defined who you are and who you are going to be, and he loved you before your life ever had the opportunity to not make sense. 
before there were broken pieces, before there were broken relationships, before you were being defined by your mother, your father, your friends, your relationships, whatever it is, God reached down before he created anything in this world, and he defines us. He says who we are. Before God spoke anything into existence, we were the plan all along. Interesting note, in um, the five days that God is creating land and seas and animals and all these things, after each time that he would create them, he would say, this is good. This is good. And then on the sixth day, when he creates man, the text shifts a little bit and he says something different. He doesn't say it is good. He says it is very good. It is very good. So when God created man on the sixth day, it was the greatest piece of art that he could ever create. The greatest piece of art that he could ever create. But the problem with many of us, and the reason that we don't feel like a masterpiece, the reason that our life feels so broken and we're asking God continually why, is because we're no longer defined by God in our minds, we're defined by who others say that we are. And so the quickest way to lose sight of who you are and who God defines you is to believe that you are who others say you are. You begin to be defined by a label that somebody puts on you. Maybe you show up to a job and maybe you just had a bad day and you failed. And now they say, hey, you're a failure every time you show up. Or, or, or maybe um, when you were a little kid, you didn't have any just uberly crazy talents. And, and so maybe you weren't smart. Maybe school wasn't your thing. And like you would rather stare out the window than work on papers. That was me. And maybe people all along your life told you, hey, you're not going to really amount to anything. You don't have any talents. Why are you so this? Why are you so that? And we begin to allow ourselves to be defined by other people. But we have to go back to the very beginning because before there was anything, God defined you and I. You know, um, the Mona Lisa was da Vinci's greatest art piece. Um, this scary-looking woman, right? This scary, like, blank face. Like, like can, couldn't you have given her just, like, a little smile? Like, something. That woman is scary. It's the kind of, like, painting that you see in those horror movies. You know what I mean? Like, you come out of a certain corner, and you look at that painting, and you're jumping out of your skin. Van Gogh's uh, Starry Night was his greatest piece of art. It was his greatest piece of art. Martin Luther's most famous speech was, I have a dream. And by the way, I don't know if you know this about that speech. It's very interesting because that speech was never even planned. It was never planned. It was never written down. Um, he's about to close his speech, and he's about to conclude it, and there is a lady in the back of him, and she says, Martin, tell them about the dream. Tell them about the dream. And he starts this speech. And so here's the thing. We see all these artists who create this incredible masterpiece. But what we don't see is all of the times that they have absolutely failed. Do you know how many times Da Vinci and Van Gogh painted a painting and it was horrible? It was just really bad. It looked like you're painting with a twist painting. Anybody ever done that? You're like, oh my, this looks so bad. How did I even come to this they came so many times to paint this greatest work of art, and then finally, one time, they get it right. They finally get it right. And here's what I want to show you today, is that God didn't fail any times when he made you. 
it, it wasn't like he was crafting it and was like, oops, uh, sorry about that one. I, I kind of left some components and some pieces out of you. When he created us, it was exactly how he intended it to be. But instead of us feeling like a masterpiece, instead of us feeling like God's art, we feel like broken pieces. Life seems broken. Life seems fragmented. How does God intend to create a masterpiece out of such brokenness, right? How does God intend to create something beautiful out of your life? But God is the artist in the art, meaning this, whatever your story is and whatever your broken pieces are, God is working in that. God is through that. You know, God may seem very distant in your life right now. He may seem like he is really far away, but as we're going to read in, in a moment in the book of Job, which is an awfully tragic story, until you get to the very end, until you begin to see what God is doing all along. God is in your pain, God is in your despair, He is in your failure, He is in your darkest, deep moments of pain and hurt and despair. Just because you feel broken and fragmented does not mean that God is not at work. See, God is the artist working on the art. There is a process that is taking place. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things, things that he planned for us long ago. This is talking about Ephesians 1, verse 4. He's saying, before I created absolutely anything, I intended to create something beautiful out of you. The day you were born is the day that you were destined for greatness. But the problem is, most of us say, well, the day I was born is the day I was destined for destruction. Like, as soon as I was alive, and as soon as I can make conscious decisions, it seems like I've just been screwing things up. Somewhere along the way, this thing called life beat the junk out of you, right? Like some, maybe some decisions that you made, and let's be honest, some decisions that you made were probably poor, and, and sometimes we're in the situations that we are simply based off of our decisions. And then there's other times, like we're going to read in the book of Job, this dude did nothing. He was holy, he was blameless, he was a man that loved, and he served Jesus, and he gave generously of his life, of his time, and of his talents. Do you remember when you used to dream? Do you remember when you were four years old, five years old? I see it all the time with my kids. Like, they just dream. My, my, my uh, six-year-old, who you saw on the stage earlier, uh, Eli, he has this dream of becoming the greatest karate artist in all of the world. Okay? Um, I, I was telling them a story the other, the other night, and uh, I was... Instead of reading the Bible to them, I was telling them a story, and I was just trying to make it really big. Because if you ever notice, like, kids in their imagination, when it's really, like, huge and there's so much stuff going on, their eyes get really big. And I can, I'm telling them the story of uh, Jonah and the whale, and I'm telling them, they're, like, they're on edge. And um, I said, boys, do you ever imagine things? And Eli's like, oh, I imagine stuff all the time. He's like, well, what do you imagine about? He's like, well, right now I'm imagining about doing, like, flips over people and, like, kicking them in the face. And, like, I'm the greatest karate artist in the world. But do you remember? Do you remember those days, like, when you used to dream? 
when life was so so innocent and somebody would ask you, hey, what do you want to do with your life? And you're like, well, I'm going to conquer the world. I'm going to be a firefighter. I'm going to be a policeman. I'm going to be the greatest mother that the world has ever seen. And then somewhere along the line, broken pieces. Broken pieces. Somewhere along the line, there is a relationship that maybe you gave absolutely everything to. And then you realize a few months in, you're like, oh my gosh, this is wrong. Everything about this is not going to work, but you want it to work so badly because you don't feel any fulfillment, you don't feel anything from God at all, so you just give of yourself, hoping that this person can satisfy you. What happens? It ends, and there's broken pieces. Instead, our dreams fade fast because we feel like the art piece that God can do absolutely nothing. Some of us, to be honest with you, let's just, let's just be brutally honest with ourselves for a moment. Some of us have given up on the fact that God can turn our broken pieces and make something beautiful out of it. We're just like, you know what, there's that one area in my life, God, that there's no way you're ever going to be able to do anything. I'm just going to surrender and I'll just be broken the rest of my life. Instead of trusting that God knows what he's doing, we start telling the artist how to paint. We start going, okay, God, if I've got so many broken pieces and I don't see you working in my life, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take my two hands and I'm going to take it into my own hands and I'm going to make something happen. You know what happens when we do that? More broken pieces. Because we're trying to make sense of everything. And listen, let me be honest with you real quick. Some of you guys have walked through some extremely painful, devastating situations. And there are some legitimate broken pieces in your life that, to be honest with you, we could sit down face to face and I could probably never give you an answer. I could probably never give you an answer. But the one thing that I've learned throughout life and the one thing that I've read throughout scriptures is sometimes we can't always answer the why, but God is always good. And I'm not saying that in some kind of like cliche form. Okay? Like, like that's, that's what we do as Christians, right? We use the cliche, like God is good. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is I've been through low, hard times and really trusting and leaning on God. And I can point back and say, you know what, God is still good, even though this moment right here sucks. When I first got the phone call, many of you have heard this before. When I first got the phone call that my dad had uh, stage four cancer. I mean, that's a low moment. My goodness. Like, all your, your mind races and you begin to think, like, is this the end? Is the, like every time you get with your, your dad, is this the last conversation? Is this the last meal? Is this the last time? Some broken pieces. I can't sit back and go, God, why are you allowing this to happen? I just have to trust that God knows what he's doing. But the sad part for many of us is many of us are defined by our brokenness instead of being defined by Christ. We're defined by our pain. We're, we're defined by life's Tragedies. Instead of feeling like a masterpiece, we feel like a three-year-old's painting. It's just extremely messy. Because we feel like this, we allow ourselves to be defined by who others say we are. And like I said earlier, the quickest way to forget what God says about you is to care more about what others say about you. So this morning, I want to turn your attention to one of the most broken yet redemptive stories in the Bible. In Job, uh, maybe you've heard this story before, but we're going to see a man who God allows, uh, that's interesting, 
But God allows Satan to wreak havoc on his life. And we, we don't really know why other than the fact that God kind of sets the whole thing up. Satan's walking around the earth and he's looking for somebody to destroy. And God literally goes, have you considered my servant Job? Like if I was Job, I'd be like, God, really? <laughs> have you considered my servant Zach? You want to screw his life up? Go for it. Are you serious? That's basically what's happening. God's telling Satan, he said, have you considered my servant Job? He said, there is not a more honorable and upright man in all of the earth. And he said, you can do anything you want to him, but just don't kill him. And when you read the story, if you were Job, you're probably like, God, just kill me. Just kill me. If there was ever a person in the Bible to possibly ask, God, why? It's Job. It's Job. Job had everything, absolutely everything, and then he lost everything. I want to point your attention to a certain passage in Scripture, and if you have a Bible or a phone or something, an app, you can turn uh, there with me. This uh, particular part of Scripture is not going to be on the screens because I added it this morning. So um, in Job chapter 1, and we're going to do verse 13 through 22, I want to show you exactly how Job begins to lose everything, because this is a very critical moment in his life. So watch what happens. Job 13. Chapter 1, verse 13. It says, Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. So let me just set the story up real quick. They are sitting in their house. If they were in southern Louisiana, they're having a crawfish boil. They're sitting around a table, having a good time, having a few drinks, laughing, cutting up, doing everything that family does. Completely oblivious to what God is about to do. Verse 14. There came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. So basically the servant is coming. He says, all your donkeys, all that stuff, they killed them all, they took them. Verse 16. While this servant was speaking, so this messenger rushes into Job's house to tell him that he just lost this stuff. While he's speaking, another one comes in. It says, verse 16, while he was speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. So that's two times. Verse 17, while he was speaking, yet there came another and said the Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and shook down the servants with the edge of a sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Verse 18. While he was speaking, there came another and said, like, as soon as this guy walked in the room, I'm like, God, seriously, are you kidding me right now? Verse 18. While he was still speaking, yet there came another and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across them, the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they were dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So four times, somebody rushes into his house and says, they took this, these are dead, they took this, oh, by the way, you just lost your entire family. Verse 20, then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. Now let me just point one thing out. This should make you feel really comfortable. You know why? Job is experiencing all this tragedy, all this just awful things going on, and he goes crazy for a moment. 
the dude just goes crazy. Tears his clothes, shakes his head. So this, this is what you say from now on to relatives that are asking you, what's going on? You're like, listen, Joe did it. Uh, he just went crazy. I'm having a moment. It's hard. So if I shave my head, you know what's going on. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Those are powerful words. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, note this, in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. What? Job did not sin or charge God with wrong? Have you ever been somewhere in your life or something took place and the first thing that you want to do is put God on trial? Like, put God on trial. Like, God, what in the world are you doing? What are you doing? So Job, Job lost sheep. He lost camels, he lost oxen, he lost donkeys, he lost servants, which, by the way, were his livelihood. So ultimately, he lost his job. He lost seven sons. He lost three daughters. He lost his health. Job's wife even comes to him at one point and says, curse God and kill yourself. Just curse God and kill yourself. Which, at which point, I would have shot that woman. <laughs> Things are like, well, man, I do not need this right now. So what happens? Job's life is broken into a million pieces. His life in an instant is shattered and broken, and there's pieces all over, and he's gone. How in the world am I ever going to put this back? My family's gone. My livelihood is gone. On top of that... I start, my health starts deteriorating. And then as we read further along in the story, most of the book is a conversation between Job and some friends that thought that they could make sense about God. You, you ever notice that like when you are in your deepest suffering and in your deepest pain, here comes along a herd of morons. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And they just try to make sense of all of your pain. Well, the reason that you're probably going through that is because, I mean, there's probably just like some deep, black, dark, I mean, you got a dark heart, man. What? Like, you, you're, you're just hopeless. Your, your sin is so bad. That's basically what they're doing. They, he even has one friend in, in the book, he says, God is doing this to you pretty much because you've got a wicked, wretched heart. To which I would reply, um, that would be all of us. That would be all of us. But there's no reason. We, don't, we, we read almost 38 chapters and we, we don't see a reason other than God allowed it to happen. Other than God allowed it to happen. So Job listens to a bunch of bad advice from his friends and worthless counsel as his friends try to make sense of why. Here's the question. Here's the thing that we've got to understand. Sometimes there's going to be things in our life and the why question will never be answered. And it's why your relationship with Jesus is so important. Because the more in tune that you are with Jesus, the less and less that the why has to be answered. Now let me be honest with you. There, there will be times, and there's time in my own life when I ask God why. But it doesn't make a break. They tell Job that he's suffering because of his sin. But we know through the story that this is just simply not the case. Because Job is a blameless and upright man. He loves Jesus. And here's what I want you to note from this little section of Scripture. A friend's opinion will never be better than God's plan. Like, a friend's opinion 
will never be better than God's plan. Or, or better put, what a friend or a person defines you as will never be better than the definition that God gives you. Ever. Like, ever. It doesn't matter what people say you are. The only thing in this universe that matters is how God defines you. And according to Ephesians 2, he defines you as a masterpiece. He defines you as his greatest work. The quickest way to forget what God says about you is to care more about what others say about you. So in Job 38, God finally answers Job after all of his lamenting. So this is what we're going to see. So for about 37 chapters, Job is just going, he's trying to figure it out. God, why? I don't understand this. What did I do? And then we read in Job 38, this is God's response. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, okay, so like, that's pretty interesting. Out of a tornado, basically, God comes down and he answers Job, at which point I would have jumped out of my skin. Verse 2. Who is this that darkens counsel by words? God's talking about his friends. Without knowledge? He's basically saying, who are these friends telling you and trying to make sense of all of your pain? And then he goes on. He says, dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. And then this is, this is God's reply, which I love this, and at the same time, if you're not careful, you can be offended by this. He says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know, and he's being sarcastic. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or where were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. And then he says, or who shut in the seas with doors? When it burst out from the womb, when I made clouds its garment, and thick darkness its swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it, and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far you shall come, and no further, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days begin, and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth? It is changed like clay under the seal, and its features stand out like garments. And the wicked, and their light is withheld, and their uplifted arm is broken. And God just goes on and on and on. And all he's saying is, Job, you don't need the answer to all the why. He says, where were you when I created the earth? Who are these friends that are trying to make sense of all of your suffering and pain? They don't know anything. God declares that humans do not know everything. Go figure. Right? He humbles Job by asking questions that could never be answered by Job. Ever. Ever. And this is Job's response in uh, chapter 42. Verses 1 through 6. After God says all this, this is what Job responds. He says, I know that you can do all these things, and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. He says, basically, no purpose or plan of yours can be stopped. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. So basically, he's going, God, I'm sorry. I didn't understand everything that was going on, and nor could I ever. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself 
in the pit, in the dust, in ashes. So here's what's cool about this story. Is that Job, for about 37, 38 chapters, he's trying to make sense of all the broken, shattered pieces of his life. And he can't. But here's the interesting thing that I want to point out in this text. Is that all along, all the way until you get to the very end of the story, God had a greater plan in all of the brokenness, all of the broken pieces, all of the pain, and all of the hurt. God had a plan all along. All along. So all throughout your suffering, all throughout your pain, all throughout the broken, shattered pieces of your life, God has a plan. God has a plan. Through Job's repentance for doubting that God was working, he was restored. Everything he has lost, two times over. Everything he lost, God gives it back to him, and he doubles it. So Job's story is so powerful, not because of his pain, but because of God's restoration of all of the broken pieces. God, has a plan to God had a plan to restore Job all along, even though Job never understood why. Have you ever um, gotten to a house, and maybe you bought a new home or a new place, and you walk in, and you look at the walls, and you're like, these paint colors have got to change. You ever do that? You're like, okay, we're going to do some painting here. And painting is an extremely tedious, messy task. What you got to do, if you're going to do it right, you've got to take things off, unless you're just very good like I am. I just, you know, uh, oh, never mind. Um, you take it all off, you take the windows down, you take the floors down, you have ladders up, you've got paint everywhere. Maybe you put a few color swatches on the wall to figure out what color you want. You're like, this one, no, I want this one, no, I want this one. And it's just messy. Now, if somebody didn't understand the painting process, and walked into your house for the first time, they would probably walk in and go, why in the world did these crazy people decide to decorate with plastic on the floor, tape on the wood? This is, you like, like, yeah, this is great. They, they wouldn't understand, right? They didn't understand the painting process. But here's the thing. When there's broken pieces, all of us are in process. And sometimes you may not understand. You may look at your life now and you say, God, I, I just don't understand. And you know what? The truth is sometimes we're not made to understand. We're made to just simply trust in God. That God has a plan from the foundations of the earth to restore us and to bring us to himself. See, the only thing that matters is God's plan and God's definition. See, we don't many times see the finished product in the midst of our pain, in the midst of the broken pieces. But God sees the bigger picture. Many times we focus on the broken pieces, failing to realize God sees everything that we don't. So here's the question that I have for you this morning. Is it possible that the broken pieces are only a part of the process of the masterpiece that God wants to create? So the truth is, we're all in process. We're all in process of God creating this wonderful, beautiful, perfect masterpiece. And in the end, God takes the broken pieces and he creates something that is beautiful out of all of it. Here's what I want you to know. God never wastes pain. Ever. Ever. God never wasted Job's pain. It's probably one of the most powerful stories in the Bible. 
Because you see a man who goes through such suffering, through such turmoil, and God flips it completely around. Here's the truth. I can stand on this stage every single Sunday and maybe preach the greatest message that I've ever preached in the world, but it will never be as good as a changed life. It will never be as good as your story. It will never be as good as the broken pieces that God takes of your life and he begins to create a story out of it. See, the most powerful things that I have encountered in this church since we've been here in six months is God taking broken pieces of people's lives and beginning to make sense of them. He never wastes our pain. See, when you have a story and God begins to create a testimony in you, and he begins to take the broken pieces of your life and he begins to make them fit together again. You know what happens? There's hope for the hopeless. There's hope in a good story. There's hope when an addict becomes free and you've got another one sitting right next to you going, am I ever going to get out of this? That's so much powerful than me standing up here and talking about Jesus. There's hope when the abuser can forgive. Or they, when there's hope when the abused can forgive the abuser. There's hope in that. People find hope in that. See, the greatest story that you have is your life. And what God is working and doing. And this is where we cannot despair. That we see the here and now and the broken pieces and we just say, I am jacked up. Welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. We all are. We've all got pieces that God is working on. The thing I love about God is because he's a good artist, he reaches down into the brokenness of our soul and he breathes life on those broken pieces. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So maybe you're in here this morning and you're saying, listen, I've got all these broken pieces in my life. And to be honest with you, I've never been able to make sense of them. Well, I'd ask you one question. Do you know Jesus? If the answer is simply no, here's the greatest thing in all of the world. You have an opportunity to know Jesus this morning. And when you begin to know Jesus and you begin to make him Lord of your life, this is what happens. According to 2 Corinthians, you become a new creation. Like the broken pieces begin to come together. And they begin to become a part of your story. And there's nothing more powerful in the world that the church has than a human life that has been changed. Your broken pieces and shattered past do not define you. God defines you. Before the foundations of the earth, God looked down and he defined you. He defined you. If you're made new through Christ, the old is gone, and the new is now your identity, not your past. So here's the greatest news in all the world. Your broken pieces are no longer your identity. Christ is. Listen, if you're suffering and, and you're saved and you know Jesus in here, guess what? You're not defined by who you used to be. Christ defines you. See, God is the artist at work on the art constantly. Suspense is 
theological word that we've said over and over, sanctification. And all it means is, guess what? For the rest of your life, until you die, you're going to be in process. And God is going to be creating something out of your life. So listen. This is what I call you to this morning. Everybody's got broken pieces. Everybody's got a shattered past. Everybody has something in their life that just simply does not make sense. But can we trust in a loving, faithful Father that before the foundations of the earth defined us and gave us purpose and gave us meaning? And can we just simply trust in that and say, God, I give you these broken pieces. I give you the shattered area of my soul, the shattered area of my heart. And God, can you just make sense of them? And listen, it doesn't have to be overnight. It doesn't have to be just bam, all of a sudden everything in your mind begins to make sense. Sometimes it's a process. Some of us just need to rest in that. Like, God doesn't expect, like, just bam, instant results. I mean, a lifestyle that you've lived for 20 years of walking the opposite direction is not going to change overnight. But at the same time, God's powerful enough to do it. Let's pray now on chat real quick. Father God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that you are here. God, we understand that there's many of us, many of us in here, God, that have broken pieces, that have a shattered past. Our God, maybe we've known you for a long time and there's just things in our heart that don't make sense. There's things that we have tried to change over and over and we don't know what to do. We don't know where to turn. God, I pray that you would give us the boldness to surrender and to submit our lives to you.